This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180 TAC. Get out there and have some fun. Episode 172, Sailing the Caribbean with Nate Marr from Vieques. Hey friends, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. This is Kurt. A couple of weeks ago, I mentioned that Iceland was on our itinerary for part of our summer adventure, and we just returned from our Iceland trip. So I wanted to give you a brief rundown. First, it's an amazing place. We went early season, which means the weather was cold, the weather was rainy, it was raining sideways most days, it was cloudy, but it was beautiful delightful. We had a wonderful family trip. I want to say a special thank you to my mother-in-law, Alice Schneider, for helping us make this trip a possibility. And she came with us. She's 83 years old and uh, a healthy young 83 years old, I should say. And we just had such a great time. Let's see. We rode Icelandic horses. We did, of course, the Golden Circle, which is the tourist must do. And you get to see geysers and Gullfoss, just an amazing, huge, high-volume waterfall, just gorgeous. Um, we did a lot of driving around through, uh, I would call it the Lower Highlands, and just had a delightful time looking at and exploring lava fields. We climbed a small volcano, got to look down into the crater. That was a lot of fun. We spent a couple of days in Reykjavik and enjoyed touring that seeing what Reykjavik has to offer, and it's a darling small city. Really, really neat. You know, Iceland has the population of Tulsa, Oklahoma, which is amazing. And almost all of those people live in Reykjavik. So Reykjavik is a great place, and the rest of the island is just open farmland or volcanic mountains, glaciers, fjords, just so natural, adventurous, and beautiful. There aren't a lot of trees, you know, we're, we're pushing the far north up here, but, um, there are some trees, but the beautiful tundra and lava fields, like I mentioned. We spent most of our week staying in a river house, is what I like to call it. It was a beautiful house on a river north of Barganis, if I said that right. And, uh, just had such beautiful views there. From that house, we could see a large volcanic crater. And inside of the volcanic crater out on the horizon, there were daughter peaks, cones that had come up, one large one and one smaller one. And then straight in front of us um, was a, a wall that appeared to be made out of basalt. And it looks like we were in a rift valley, which we probably were. We also hiked through the rift between the continental plates of North America and Eurasia, so remember, in the Atlantic, there's a rift valley that goes through the bottom of the Atlantic where these continental plates are moving apart. Well, that splits down parts of Iceland. And there was a lava field from an eruption about six or 8,000 years ago. And so this was once a continuous layer of lava, probably 25, 30 feet deep. And the uh, continental drift has been moving apart and ripping this lava field apart a little bit at a time, somewhere between, oh, one and two centimeters a year. And you can stand in the middle of this old lava field 
and you can see how far apart the continents have moved at that location in the last six to eight thousand years, which is really, really cool. So we got to stand there, and what's really fun about it is there's a beautiful waterfall that dives down into this rift, this chasm in the lava field. And it's kind of cool to stand there and say, whoa, I am between North America and Europe right now. So we did that, and what else did we do? Really just had a delightful week of seeing a lot of things. Of course, we had to go to a hot spring, and Iceland is full of geothermal activity everywhere. Hot, boiling water gushing out of the ground. We saw the largest, highest volume hot spring in Europe. And uh, it's it's kind of funny to think of Iceland as Europe because, of course, it's between North America and Europe and the two continents actually split the island. But Iceland has uh, identified itself with Europe. It's considered a part of Europe. So anyway, the biggest hot spring in Europe, pretty cool. But Iceland is heated largely from these hot springs that are all over the island nation And they pipe the water to the cities, and they have radiant heat out of hot water radiators. And so, of course, while we're there, we had to go to a natural hot spring, and we chose a secret lagoon, which was really, really nice. A lot of people opt to go to the Blue Lagoon. We drove by the Blue Lagoon, and we looked at it, but it's pretty commercial, and we wanted to go somewhere that were a little bit more quaint. And so we ended up at the secret lagoon, and it was beautiful. So there's a large pool where people enjoy... Warming your bones after being in the misty, cold, Icelandic rain. But when you get good and warm, there's a boardwalk. And you take this boardwalk around in your swimming suit, and there are these caverns diving deep into the earth that you can look into with boiling water coming out of them. And that water spills into the pool, which is what keeps it hot. And so there's several of these springs that you go near. And then at the end, there's a miniature geyser. You know, while we were there, it would go off every eh, three or four minutes, and usually it was only about 18 inches. But every now and then, it would build up enough pressure that the geyser would shoot six, seven, eight feet in the air. So while you are in the hot spring, the geyser's going off next to you, and the water from the geyser and from the other hot springs flows into the pool, which keeps it warm. It was really cool. Secret Lagoon, delightful. I wanted to uh, talk a little bit about the horseback riding. Icelandic horses are special. It's a breed of horse that exists there. They don't allow any other horses to come to the island because they do not want to, in any way, influence the breed or change the breed from what it is. This horse is not tall in stature, but it has a special gait that only these Icelandic horses have, and it allows you to ride at a pretty good clip without the jarring bouncing that you get from most horses when they trot. So this Icelandic horse, some people would say pony because they're not that many hands tall, but these horses um, have this wonderful gait and this wonderful temperament. And we went to a place on a real farm, not a tourist horse ride, you know, I, I don't like those kind of trail rides. So we went to a real working farm, where they have sheep and horses and that sort of thing, where they allow you to go horseback riding. And we went horseback riding as a family, and it wasn't just this trail ride. We were going through the open pastures. We had several river crossings where the horses went through the rivers, and we ended up viewing two amazingly beautiful waterfalls 
all of this in this glacier carved valley where the the u-shaped valley you look up the valley you're looking toward the glaciers you look down the valley you're looking toward the sea green gushing water and we got to run the horses we got to cross rivers it was the real deal and uh, if you are going to iceland www.oddstater.is that's o-d-d-s-s-t-a-d-i-r dot i-s and sig and Gudborg there will take care of you wonderful people and it was really just a working farm so we had a delightful time so that's an awful lot to say about Iceland, but I'm stoked about it because we had such a great time as a family. We didn't do any hardcore or huge adventures, but we did many adventures, and we really enjoyed it. It's just an adventurous land of fire and ice, lava, geothermal springs, glaciers, fjords, beauty. It's, it's unique. It's beautiful. It's Icelandic. Wonderful people. You got to go. One word of advice, though, um, it, it takes some coin. Iceland is very, very expensive, even when the dollar is strong, like it is right now. Everything you do there is going to cost some money. So if you want to have fun, just expect to go there, throw the money down, don't think about it, enjoy yourselves, and you'll have a delightful time. So if you want to see just a short excerpt of the Icelandic adventure that the Linville family went on, I am going to post a link in the show notes that you can click to see a quick YouTube video slash slideshow that I'm putting together that just shows some of the stuff we did. If you're interested, then go to adventuresportspodcast.com and look in the show notes, and there will be a link there for the YouTube video so you can see what the crazy Linvilles were up to. So today we have a wonderful show from Ice... To the Caribbean. We're talking now to Nate Marr, and it's about sailing around the Caribbean out of Puerto Rico, and it's a wonderful show. Big contrast to the North Atlantic, I'll tell you. And uh, I, I spoke to Nate about a month ago when we did this interview, and we're still talking about all the snow in Colorado and how cold it had been, and Nate's been having a delightful time down there in the Caribbean in that warm, beautiful water. Really, really cool. If you are interested in sailing you're interested in the tropics, you're interested in the Caribbean, this will be the show for you. Thanks, and on with the show. Today, we're down in the islands. I caught up with Nate Marr with Marauder Sailing Charters, and he is off the coast of Puerto Rico on Vieques. He runs a charter sailing service down there, but we wanted to talk to him today because he transitioned from a life in finance, working in Massachusetts, to living in the islands and running this charter service. And I think it's going to be a really cool story about sailing and about island living and about transitioning to things that we love to do. So, Nate, welcome to the program. Hi, Kurt. Thanks for having me. You bet. Hey, we want to hear the backstory, Nate. Let's just start right there. Tell us how you got from Massachusetts to Puerto Rico. Well, it's kind of funny. Um, I, as you mentioned, I had a corporate job in Massachusetts outside of Boston. And um, 
as you can probably tell that the winters are bad up there. We had about three feet of snow one winter about five years ago. And so when it came time for vacation, I was looking for someplace warm that I hadn't been before. And I did some traveling for work. So I had um, points for a hotel chain that I was looking to use. So I found a property here in Vieques, uh, which is a small island off of the main island, Puerto Rico. Um, and I had never even heard of the island. And so I said, well, it's sunny. It's easy to get there. Um, you know, I'm ready for it. So I booked the trip and I was here for about two weeks. Um, and towards the end of my vacation, I ended up booking a sailing charter. And the company I went with, you know, it's a nice uh, small group. I'd been on other charters before where there's, you know, 50 or 60 guests on board. So it's impersonal. Uh, but this was a nice trip. There was only uh, half a dozen. <clears throat> so by the end of the day, you know, I really got to know the owners and, you know, chatted with them. And I said, you know, I've been sailing since I was a kid. I would love to do this someday. How would you ever get started? And they said, well, we're going to retire at the end of the season. We've been doing it for over 10 years. And, you know, if you are interested in purchasing the boat and the company, we would be uh, willing to sell it to you. Wow. <laughs> so it's totally unplanned, unexpected, and, you know, an opportunity fell in my lap. So I met them the next day for lunch. So we chatted more about it and um, <laughs> the rest is history. Wow. So you've been doing this five or six years now. Yes. Yep. It, describe island living there in Vieques. What's it like? Um, first of all, we are a small island of about 9,000 residents, um, about eight miles from the main island of Puerto Rico. So think remote Caribbean and then amplify that. Um, everything that comes here is obviously imported on a ferry or a small plane. Um, so everything is much more expensive and difficult to get. <clears throat> so if you are brand loyal, you can just throw that out the window. Um, so it's, you know, just little everyday things are kind of inconvenient, but you learn to deal with that. Um, a hard thing for me when I first moved here is coming from a corporate environment. Uh, my day was scheduled. I was on conference calls and, and meetings and things like that. And kind of showing up um, without any of that, I was like, wow, I'm just on vacation. This is great. Um, obviously, reality sets in and, you know, I had to get uh, my nose to the grindstone and get things off the ground here. Um so it's not all fun in the sun. Um, there's there's definitely some things that, um, you know, stumbling blocks and a learning curve for sure. Mm. Well, for our listeners, you're on the sailboat right now. Every now and then you'll hear the water lap or a little bit of the wind in the background, and I think that adds some ambiance. So, But for the listeners, when you hear that, that's why we caught up with him literally on his boat. Yeah, we were just out today just doing some maintenance, and it was uh, the sun is shining. It's a beautiful day, so uh, my crew and I just went out for a quick sail, and we got back to the mooring, and uh, here I am. So this is my new office. My view is right now I'm looking at a little little island with a white sandbar and turquoise water. Uh, you know, Nate, I think I mentioned when I first contacted you, which is several weeks back, that we'd had a lot of snow. Yes. But here's the crazy part. Today is Cinco de Mayo, May 5th, and uh, in the last two weeks, we've had over five more feet of snow. <laughs> I kid you not. Finally, yesterday, the sun was strong enough, the temperatures got up enough that most of the snow melted. Now we're down to just, well, drifts and shady spots. But to hear about being in the sun in the Caribbean right now is refreshing. I really appreciate you sharing that with us. 
Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's kind of something I was looking forward to ever since I was a kid. I always dreamed about living on an island someday, and it kind of happened. Um, the opportunity came up um, just completely unexpected. I thought maybe when I retire at some point, um, I would move to an island, but, you know, the opportunity came up, and I said, you know what, what's what's the worst that can happen? It doesn't work, and I go back to uh, my old life. And... You know, it's been almost six years now, and things are working out pretty well. I'm happy, and I think it would be extremely difficult to go back at this point. <laughs> so do you ever look back and say, oh, man, was this the right choice? Uh, you know, for my first, I would say, six months to a year, I would question. I said, oh, you know, why did I do this? This is a bad choice. Um, you know, uh, to get started, it wasn't easy to get permits and all of those things. Um, so, you know, that was really a roadblock and I was literally living off credit cards for the first six months, um, as I was trying to get things going. So that was extremely difficult. And there were several times where I just wanted to get on a plane and go back home. Mm. But then things got different after that. Yeah, things changed, you know, as I started meeting people, um, in the same industry and other industries, we just kind of all help each other out. It's a very, very small town here. And even my competitors, we do work together and collaborate um, and look out for each other. So it's it's not cutthroat, as you, you may think, in some other places. Um, so, you know, it's a really nice community. Very cool. Well, hey, describe for us what a typical day is for you, a work day or a play day, whatever you want to call it. But what does that what does that entail? Well, it's all kind of the same. <laughs> um so a typical work day is, you know, we uh, the crew and I would get out to the boat about an hour before we meet our guests, and uh, we pick up our guests on the dock. And since we don't have a large marina here, um, we go back and forth in a small tender, so an inflatable dinghy, basically. And once we get them on board, you know, we welcome them and kind of start our day. All right. So a typical day is um, after we pick up our guests, we'll sail for about an hour or so. So our guests will get a full view of the islands, which is much larger than you think. It's 22 miles long, uh, but just four miles wide. And what makes our island different than a lot of other Caribbean islands is that it's um, mostly undeveloped. Um, We have no high-rise hotels. The highest building is only three stories tall. And there's a restriction where um, resorts or any homes cannot be built on any beaches, uh, which is great. So it's a very um, undiscovered island, I would say, and it's uh, protected by federal law. So um, it shouldn't change much, which is why we love it. And so the guests get a real feel for that. And we'll tuck into one of the bays uh, where we drop anchor. We'll go swimming, snorkeling. We'll have some lunch and um, hang out for a bit, and then we'll sail back. Wow, that sounds nice. Yeah, Very it's nice. it's beautiful. We also do a sunset trip, um, which is great. And since the guests usually go straight to dinner afterwards, uh, they don't go swimming or snorkeling. Uh, but we have had several proposals on board, which all ended quite well. Uh, so that's <laughs> good. <laughs> yeah, that'd be awkward um, otherwise, so... So uh, that's that's the most romantic thing you can imagine, literally sailing into the sunset and uh, getting a marriage proposal. Nice. (laughs) Oh, man. So how many hours do you think you put in in a typical day? Um, Well, let me put it in perspective. So our our average trip um, is about four hours long, um, but I have 
you know, hours and hours before and after a trip. So what a guest actually sees is about four hours. Uh, my day would be about two to three hours before uh, to prepare. Because all of the food is prepared on board, made fresh every single morning. Um, from And usually all the greens are from local farmers. I support all the local farmers to get whatever's seasonal and fresh. And then after the day, um, there's always clean up and getting ready for the following day. So that's another two to three hours at the end of the day as well. So your days aren't short, but, you know, here's the question. Does it feel like you're working all day or do you feel like you're playing as well? No, you know, it's if you love what you do, you'll never work again. Um, that's how I see it. And I still love my job, even though I've been doing it for about six years. Um, I love coming to work every day. And like today, we're not chartering, uh, but we were out anyway because it was a beautiful day. So we just went for a sale. Nice. So if you can if you can uh, work and play and it's interchangeable, you know, it's it's how can you not love that? Yeah, absolutely. Action cameras evolved quickly and are no longer just for recording your adventures. The new SIOI Iris 4G shares experiences as they happen. The connected camera is built specifically for action sports. It's rugged, wearable, and goes places you won't take your smartphone. The best part? Broadcast from the great outdoors with a simple touch. Your friends can watch live or come back for an instant replay. No downloads, no editing, now that's progress. Visit SIOEYE.com and share your next adventure live. Bentgate Mountaineering, located in Golden, Colorado, has been outfitting backcountry travelers for more than 20 years. The snow is melting and the crags are drying out. Time to break out the hiking boots, rock climbing shoes, and tents. Gear materials and designs are more evolved than ever. From the latest ultralight gear to the tried-and-true classics, Bentgate has the premier brands for climbing, hiking, and camping essentials, including Arcteryx, Hilleberg, Nemo, Western Mountaineering, and many more. Need advice on destinations, getting started, or on fine-tuning your quiver of gear? The Bentgate staff are all passionate adventurers who can give you the data and advice you need. Bentgate is also hosting numerous events and speakers this summer, so please check out their events page at bentgate.com for more information as well as to see their full product selection. Tell me a little bit more about Vieques. Um, some of the islands in that area are kind of hilly, mountainous. Some of them are pretty flat. Some of them are kind of jungly, and others are more dry and arid. I don't know mm-hmm. about Vieques. What's it like? So Vieques is kind of a mix of both. Um, I mentioned it was 22 miles long, uh, but it's just four miles wide at the widest point. So it's a long ribbon that runs from east to west. So the uh, eastern end of the island, which is the wind-blown side, um, that's very arid. There's cacti, and it's desert-like over there. And then you go to the west end of the island, and it's like a tropical rainforest um, where the leaves are enormous on the trees. It feels like you're in Jurassic Park. Um, And there's just kind of gentle rolling hills. Um, I think the highest point is about 950 feet or so. Um, So it's not steep hills, uh, just kind of gentle rolling mountains. That's some nice terrain anyway. Yeah, it's beautiful. And we've got um, about 
45 miles of coastline and about 35 or so beaches are accessible. And um, it's actually kind of interesting. The sand goes from jet black from kind of the base of the dormant volcano. Um, and the further away you get from that, the sand goes to a golden color and then blinding white. So we've got kind of something for everyone, and the beaches are never crowded. If there's 10 people at the beach, that's a busy day because everyone just spreads out. Nice. It sounds like a microcosm of all the beaches on the planet. <clears throat> yeah, it's, it is quite interesting. And actually, I had my 15-year-old nephew here last summer for about six weeks. And first of all, when he stepped off the plane, I took away any of his electronics that started with the letter I. And those, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and those were mine for his six weeks. And um, so he hated me for about two days, but he got over that pretty quickly. And so while he was here, we collected um, a little jar of sand from every single beach. And we lined them all up. And it's interesting, the spectrum and the different textures of every beach that we have here. Very cool. Well, what about water sports in the area besides sailing? Do people scuba dive there and surf and things like that? Yeah, there's quite a bit of scuba diving. There are um, two companies that I can think of off the top of my head. And actually, my crew member currently, he's a professional paddy certified scuba instructor and also a free dive instructor. Um, so there's there's some decent diving here. I just um, have done a few lessons myself. I haven't had the time to get certified quite yet, but that's on the bucket list. Um, and then there's also you know the a few jet ski places and things like that. But um, Vieques is really known for its bioluminescent bay, mm. which is the brightest in the world, um, accessible by kayak at night. Uh, which is quite amazing. Even just kayaking at night is amazing. And we're we're really known for kind of our eco-friendly tourism here. We've got horseback riding companies. Um, you know, it's just not super developed. And I have to say it's not for everyone. You know, it's I, I like it because it's small and quiet and laid back and kind of that old Caribbean feel. Um, if you're looking for casinos and nightlife, you've come to the wrong place. Right. Well, it sounds like a little piece of paradise. How do you stand living there? <laughs> well, it's not easy, I have to say. And it's it's kind of funny. Um, I always tell our guests at the end of the day, I said, I asked how they heard about the islands, because uh, most people haven't. And I said, and please don't tell your friends when you get back to New York, because we don't want everyone and their brother coming down. <laughs> right. But um, it's, it's, it's great. I love it here. Um, but we do get what we call rock fever in the off season when there's not much tourism and not a lot to do. So, uh, that's when I vacation. That's when I go home, see my family. I've actually got some family coming down next week, which I'm really excited about because I haven't seen my family since November when I went home. So, well, how did this whole transition change your life? I mean, we can kind of imagine what it would be like to go from the cold winters of Massachusetts sitting in a cube to this but tell us tell us the the stuff we may not expect well you know when when i was growing up and uh finished college i um was kind of brought up that you know it's like you have to work really hard and then play later kind of thing and you know time is money time is money and as i was you know, sitting in my cubicle one day, you know, waiting for vacation, um, I was Xing off the days at the at five o'clock and saying, okay, you know, I've got seven days left till vacation. 
And then when I returned from vacation, I would say, okay, when's, I was, you know, planning the next one. Um, even though I did really enjoy my job and my coworkers, but it's like, you know, I don't, I feel like I'm doing this backwards. Um, why not have more time, um, and less money? Um, so I know that's not for everyone and that formula doesn't work for everyone either, but for me, it, it did kind of work and it does work. And I enjoy having, um, time to pursue other things that I never had time to do before. Um, and also I get to, you know, just try different things that maybe I would have never even done before or thought about doing. Right. So why sailing? I mean, it, you could go to the island and do other things, right? You could be the guy right. that runs the, the jet ski service or the, you know, someone that runs a restaurant or something like that. But why sailing? Sailing? Um, well, I grew up in Connecticut, and my family always had boats on Long Island Sound, so I just kind of grew up on boats and around boats and on the ocean. So it's just kind of a natural transition for me. So not everyone has been on a sailboat. Matter of fact, I'd say most people haven't. What's it like to spend a day on a boat? You know, that's kind of interesting. I always ask that question when someone books a trip. Um, and fifty, a good 50% of my guests have never been sailing before. And so they're not sure what to expect. Some people are nervous. Um, but it's it's really, it depends on you um, and what you're looking for. Like You can participate in helping a sail if that's what you're interested in doing. We're happy to teach you. But you don't have to do any of the work if you want. If you want to sit back and have a drink and lay in the sun, that's completely fine as well. So a typical day sailing, um, honestly, there is no typical day. Every single day is different. And what we do is 100% dependent on the weather. Mm, sure. Speaking of weather, hurricanes do frequent the Caribbean. What's that like? Yes. So when I moved here... Um, about a month after we had Hurricane Irene roll through and I was like, oh, great. I've been here for 30 days and I own a boat and now there's a hurricane, you know, coming down on us. Um, so we're lucky enough in Vegas to have a hurricane safe harbor. Um, and by that, I mean, it's the entrance into the sea from the bay is so narrow that the storm surge doesn't come in uh, as much, and we're protected behind 40-foot-tall cliffs, so the wind isn't as strong in there. And there's also the mangrove trees, um, which they root in the salt water. So uh, we're able to tie into those during bad storms. So we're, we're pretty lucky, and that takes us about 40 minutes to get there from where we're currently anchored. Um, but it's always something, uh, June 1st starts the official hurricane season, so it's something on all of our radars as, as mariners down here. We're always talking about it, always looking at it, um, and always prepared. I'm ready to go at a moment's notice and help out the next guy and the next guy, and they're all willing to do the same for me. That's just the way it is. Huh. What are summers like there when there's not a hurricane? Uh, does it get really hot, or is it is it more moderated by the ocean? You know, it's, everyone asks that, and um, it doesn't get much hotter as far as uh, temperature-wise goes. It's about 78 to 85, 86 degrees every single day of the year. Um, you know, once in a while we'll get up to 90 or so. But it's more the humidity. As the water gets warmer, um, the uh, air gets heavier. Um, and, you know, we get quite a bit of rain and thunderstorms, especially in the afternoon. So it's it's actually still a great time to visit in the off season, and I always tell friends and family if they're able to come down in the summer, um, I recommend 
June through July-ish before hurricane season really gets going because airfare is about half price um, and also hotels run deals and all of that. So it's a great time to visit. And also, since I have so much free time, then I can spend time with my friends and family when they come visit instead of, uh, you know, on Christmas, which I don't have any time at all. Sure. Around the holidays, you must be just booked all the time. Yeah, I mean, we book solid, and we book. I already have. I took reservations last month for next next uh, Thanksgiving. Um, so it's like we book up holiday weeks and school vacation weeks months and months in advance. So um, it's, it definitely gets really busy here, and that's where you have to be really organized. Oh, that's neat. Well. There have to be times that things don't go as planned, and we always work this question into our interviews because I love it so much. I like to hear the when things went wrong stories. So do you have a good things went wrong story for us? Well, there's <laughs> there's always things that go wrong, and um, but that's where our planning and training come in. Um, it's critically important. All of my crew um, are trained personally by me, even if they have uh, – professional credentials um i train them all um because i always say there's the right way to do it the wrong way to do it and my way to do it (laughs) um so i just i have very very high standards and anyone that ever works on the boat um you know we're a strong team i need to look the person in the eye if you know things aren't going well as far as like weather system moving in or something like that Uh, i need to look him or her in the eye and and just without speaking and say, okay, we need to handle this and just kind of not let on, not hiding it from the guests, but making sure that it doesn't become a panic type situation. Um, so, I mean, just an example of that, I was sailing, we were sailing from Vieques over to St. Thomas uh, last October and, you know, it's beautiful day, perfect conditions, like textbook, ideal conditions. And just all of a sudden, a front moved in, and it dropped a series of water spouts, um, you know, wow. very, very close to us, So, which are, you know, tornadoes over the water, essentially. And one came within probably 50 yards of the boat. Um, and this is where the training came in for the crew. You know, there was absolutely no panic. We have procedures for all of this. And, you know, we got through it safely and obviously it we had to go off course to avoid that weather um which put us into st thomas three or four hours behind schedule so we came in in the dark um but i can easily see where someone would panic in a situation like that and things go very bad very quickly so it's it all comes down to training and every season we do a beginning of the year staff trip for all of the new crew and returning crew just to kind of get everyone going, um, get hyped up for the season that is so busy. Um, so just kind of get everyone trained up and ready to go. And for that, we usually take a week or 10 days and just go Island hopping around the Caribbean to see other things, put my crew kind of under pressure to, um, to see different weather conditions and different things like that. And then also at the end of the season, we'll do something similar. So we uh, are planning our trip now actually for that, where we're going to go and say, you know, is from the company, it's a thank you for a great season. Do you mind sharing what's on the itinerary? Well, it's just really, really rough right now. Um, so we're thinking of going at some point in early July, just probably after the holiday. And um, we're looking to go over to, our sister island, uh, Culebra, 
and then over to Kulabrita, which is a tiny uninhabited island. And then from there, over to uh, the U.S. Virgin Islands, St. Thomas and St. John, and probably over to the British Virgin Islands. And uh, we haven't made it over to Virgin Gorda yet, which is part of the British Virgin Islands. Um, we always run out of time. So it, last time we were over there, I actually had a flight to catch, so we're um, under a time constraint. But this time, uh, we don't have that. So that's our goal is probably take two full weeks this time. Nice. Well, it sounds delightful, Nate, I tell you. Well, Kurt, I think you should uh, get down here and get out of that cold weather up there and come check out the white sand and turquoise waters we have. I'd love to take you sailing. <laughs> That'd be good. We'll do it. <laughs> so the the funny thing is I chose to live in the mountains on purpose, and you know we're almost 9,000 feet above sea level here. That's why we have the weather. But, boy, the summers are to die for where I am. It is so nice. And I love the winter. It's just when spring rolls around and winter doesn't go away, we're having January and in April. <laughs> then that's, yeah. That's when I start longing for the islands. Yeah, I do love the mountains myself. I actually am a snow skier, um, and I do miss that. I, I try to get home, you know, maybe once a winter to go skiing with my family, but it hasn't happened in the past two years. We've been too busy, but hopefully next year. So a week of snow is plenty for me, and then I'm, I'm back on the sand. Cool. Well, hey, do you have any recommendations for people that would like to get away from that 40 to 60 hour a week grind in the corporate office and do something where they pursue an adventurous lifestyle, whatever it may be? Yeah. Um, so what I would recommend is if you're if someone is looking to do something similar, um, it has to be something that you're passionate about. Sailing isn't for everyone running a, a shack on the beach with kayak rentals or something isn't for everyone. Uh, but maybe you're a chef, you love to cook. Um, we have lots of interesting local foods down here, so you can always tweak that to make your own menu. Uh, the bottom line is you have to be passionate about what you do. If you don't love going to work every single day, you're not going to be successful. Mm. I can see that for sure. You know, I think one of the biggest hurdles for people is they, they know that if they're going to start some sort of, let's let's say they're going to be a mountain guide service, right? There's going to be a time when they're building up clientele. And so they have to walk away from a salary and then try to build up a new income. Any advice on how to bridge that gap? Well, that's, um, you know, that's a piece of advice that the previous owners of, of Marauder Sailing Charters gave me, you know, when I was thinking of doing this and having that conversation. They said, whatever you do do not move here if you have any debt. Um, they said because you may make enough money to pay it off, um, you know, in your first year, or you may not, you know, it's, it's hit or miss. Um, so that was one of the things I really made sure of is that any financial obligations I had back home uh, were taken care of, and which is a good thing. As I mentioned earlier, um, I ran into some issues and it took me about six months to get all of the permits that I needed. So I was living off credit cards, um, which, you know, I didn't have a lot of debt when I came here. So that was perfect. So, but if I had, if I was just living, you know, hand to mouth, that would have not have worked and I wouldn't be here now. Mm. Good words. What about any, uh, upcoming events or projects? Do you have anything going on? Yeah, in the summer, in our off-season here, um, we always do a lot of um, work with local charity organizations. 
And one of our favorite ones is it's kind of a summer camp for kids, uh, local kids on the island. And so they do things throughout their week of camp. They'll go snorkeling. They'll do beach cleanups um, and, you know, kind of things like that, learning about Vieques. Um, and so we always take a group of kids sailing. And usually there's about 15 or 20 um, kids, and their ages range from about um, probably 8 years old up to 14 or 15. And so the local sailing companies, we always work together and we'll, you know, break up into smaller groups and their uh, counselors will be on each boat with the kids and we'll all sail together. And when you get all the boats in our little fleet here, when you get them all together and we race, it's really fun and the kids get a little bit competitive, which is fun. And then we anchor together and they'll go snorkeling with the with the guide who will explain the coral reefs and fish that they're seeing and then we'll have lunch together and then the kids um a lot of them will want to actually sail the boat back so it's it's kind of fun giving them an opportunity that they don't typically have and kind of opening a door and saying you know you grew up on this little island surrounded by water and there are opportunities uh, to work on the water if that's what you want to do nice i love it i always love it when um People are reaching out to the next generation, you know, giving kids new experiences. That's that's really cool. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really important here and in Puerto Rico. The um, there's a very very high unemployment unemployment rate, and also the poverty level is um, about close to forty percent of the Vieques population lives in poverty, which is um, a household income of less than twenty thousand dollars a year. Mm. So um, exposing this generation um of kids to you know kind of do something and we can help and this organization that we work with also has a scholarship fund that we um help with and i'm i forget how many kids that they've um, helped get through college at this point but it is it's significant and so if we can be a little part of that we're happy to do it that's cool Hey folks, be sure to swing by 180tac.com to check out the 180 stove and the 180 flame camp stoves. These lightweight, compact, multi-fuel stoves are made in the USA and are designed to be fail-proof on your adventure. These stoves offer the flexibility to cook your meal using twigs and sticks found around you or various other fuels like gel fuel, alcohol, charcoal, or even use them as a windbreak and stable cooking surface for remote bottle gas stoves. The ingenious locking tab and slot design ensures your stove is very solid and stable without the use of hinges, rivets, or fasteners that can fail you in the field. Visit 180tack.com to find your next camp stove. So I've often wondered about that. You know, you have an island. You've already described it as undeveloped, largely. Small town, small population. It sounds beautiful and pristine. But how much could it help the economy of the island if uh, if more business grew there? Is that something that people are interested in? Um, you know, it really depends on what kind of business it is. Um I would say anything tourism related is probably the way to go. So we're there are always restaurants that open and close and um, other outdoor activities that open and close. 
Um, so anything like that is always great. But I feel like we need something more long-term here, and I'm not quite sure what that is. Um, as far as um, skilled labor, like if you like office jobs, something like that. There are a couple of little hotels here, uh, one larger chain. And so, you know, they'll keep local talent, like, you know, people that are in their 20s and 30s that uh, have a college degree or are working towards it or something like that. A lot of them will leave the island. They're moving to back to the States in droves. Um, I just saw a statistic the other day that said uh, Puerto Ricans are leaving Puerto Rico at a rate of about 230 people per day, mm. um, which is, you know, this is all the young people, the talented young people um, who have drive and who are running or should be running our economy. And so there's that age gap uh, that's missing here. And so I'm just not quite sure what it would take to bring them back or to keep them here. Um, like, I only hire local people. Um, that's just my thing, and I only support local business. I don't go to Costco um, on the main island or things like that just to keep the money local. Sure. So, um, you know, we, we all kind of try to do that. Well, I'll bet there's a window of opportunity there for someone that's innovative who could come up with a way to to use the skill set of the people on the island to generate a revenue stream that brings outside money in. That would, that would be awesome. Yeah, I, I think that would be great. Um, so like I said, there, there are some little boutique hotels and things like that that are getting international attention. Uh, so that's bringing in some talent um, from the main island and also locally from Vegas. There's some really good talent that's running those places. Um, so I don't I just feel like we need something a little bit more without being too much. So there's also, you know, there's a fine balance. Always the balance, huh? Well, Always. what inspires you, man? Sounds like you're a hardworking guy who's built something, a lifestyle that you can really enjoy. What drives you? Uh, it's, um, you know, I have to say it's just the local community. Um, I really... I like being part of this. Um, it's just, I feel like I'm home. And the first time I stepped foot on this island, I just, I don't know what came over me. I just felt I was at home here. And so I just, I like um, making a difference. And as small as the things may seem to some people or even to myself, um, just knowing that I can do something and um, kind of touch someone's life that makes it a little bit better, that just makes me happy. Mm. Yeah, I love it. Well, hey, I am sure that we have a bunch of listeners who are saying, man, how do I get down there and get on this guy's boat? So um, how do people get in touch with you, and do you have any discounts or promotions that they can find? Yeah, so we're um, online, obviously. So we've got our website, which is MarauderSailingCharters.com. And obviously we're on all of these social media as well, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, and if you follow us on any of the social media, we uh, post discount codes from time to time so you can book online with us. Um, so look out for that in our off season, which is um, June 1st that we start. Um, all the way through the end of October, we run monthly discounts. So just keep an eye out for those on Facebook. Very cool. So your Facebook page is just under Marauder Sailing as well? It's Our Facebook is Marauder Sailing Charters. Marauder Sailing Charters. So, Nate, you're talking about cooking on this boat, and you're saying you're using local fresh stuff, and it doesn't sound like the typical you know brown bag that you might get with a lot of charter services. Yeah, no, what we do is um, I try to keep it local. Um, so this kind of goes back to supporting our local community, and I buy um, local greens, 
and fruits and vegetables from our small farmers um, pretty much every day. And so we'll serve a traditional Puerto Rican lunch, which is um, it's like a dirty rice and beans. And then we have what's called a pincho here. And a pincho is a skewer. So um, we'll usually do chicken pinchos. Um, we have a little grill on board, so we'll grill it fresh up. And then we do a uh, green salad um, with homemade salad dressing and then whatever fruit is in season. So we've got pineapples right now um, that are grown here in the island. We also have avocados that are the size of a softball that are amazing like butter. Mm. Um, we have I have five mango trees in my yard, so anytime those are ripe, we have chutneys and sauces and all kinds of things. Whatever you can do with a mango, that's what we get. So we've got... Um, a great local flavor on board, which is unexpected. And so we actually had um, guests on board last year that were from a, a magazine and they were doing a photo shoot, which we weren't aware of as um, they didn't you know, give us a heads up on that. So we just treated them like everyone else. And I received an email about two months after their trip and they said, hey, do you remember us? I said, yeah, of course. And they said, well, you're going to be in, you know, this magazine and here's the link to it. It's, it's on newsstands next week. Um, so it's, you know, one of the largest publications in the world um, that we got a little shout out on with some photographs and a, you know, a caption with us. So that was that was really great. And um, we've actually had some of our recipes published in a cookbook last year. And so now we're working on, I'm working on um, the Marauder cookbook. Um, and I've already got a publisher lined up, and the draft is out there. Marauder cookbook, this sounds awesome. So do you have to be in Puerto Rico to, to get the ingredients or what? <laughs> no, you. I mean, any major grocery store anywhere will have uh, what you need. Uh, but they're just not quite the same. You know, a, a pineapple that ripens in a truck for three months um, isn't the same <laughs> as when you pick it locally and, it, you know, you bite into it and it's, you know, the sweetest thing you've ever had. Mm. Um, so, you know, it's, that's, that's kind of what we're going for. So the Marauder Cookbook, when does this come out? Uh, I'm not quite sure yet. It's still in kind of final draft stage. So hopefully um, I'm looking to finish it in this off season. So over the next six months, get it finished up. And out there. So I'm sure it'll just be online at first. People can find out more about the cookbook by watching your site and watching Facebook and that sort of thing? Yep, any updates will go on there. And from time to time, we do publish recipes and things. Um, any of that news will be up there. What about seafood in your area? Is that pretty popular? Yeah, seafood is popular. And in the Caribbean, we've got the spiny lobster, which is one of the most popular dishes here. And I'm sure you've all had Maine lobster with the big claws. Um, so the Caribbean spiny lobster does not have claws at all. It's basically a giant tail. And it's traditionally prepared. In, uh, basically, you butterfly it. So chop it in half, butterfly it. And what we like to do is drench it in spiced rum. Um, that gives it a good flavor. Throw it on the grill. And then once it comes off the grill, it just drench it in butter it's um it's great it's it's very sweet and Sounds decadent. you know it, it's amazing and uh, we always have disagreements with folks from maine uh, when they come down and sail with us about which lobster is better so <laughs> <laughs> and you would know both being from massachusetts yeah being from uh, the northeast i've had my fair share of maine lobster and i'm not going to comment either way <laughs> i was getting ready to put you on the spot <laughs> you headed me off at the pass there yeah Oh, that sounds delicious and sounds fun, too. 
So, Nate, how about just an overall why do adventurous things? Why adopt an adventure-based lifestyle? You know, I just think the everyday um, corporate life that I was leading, I just wasn't personally rewarding for me. Um, and I mean, I had some life events like everyone does and you just kind of sit back and think about it. Um, so for example, and this is the one that, um, kind of tipped the scales for me is, um, my grandfather who I was very, very close with, he retired at the age of 62 and he and my grandmother, um, had plans to do quite a bit of traveling. And, um, so in preparation for that, he ended up, um, going into his old job just for the day to do them a favor and to get them caught up. Um, and at lunchtime, he ended up um, having a heart attack and died. Oh. And so it was just a really tragic um, event for my family and my grandmother. Obviously, they'd been married for 45 years. Um, so and I'm like, you know what? It's he worked his entire life to save up for, you know, the once in a lifetime trip kind of thing and, um, you know, enjoy his retirement. And I said, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. I kind of want to flip that around right now and just say, I want, here's what I want to do. I'm young enough to do it and let's just try it out. And if it doesn't work, um, you know, there's always a desk waiting for me somewhere. Mm. So, you know, at the time that was important to me. You know, I like your perspective a lot. What a tough way to learn the lesson, though. Yeah, but I mean, it's, I'm sure my story isn't unique. Um, I mean, how many people do you hear about that have something similar? Or, you know, it's like someone wins the lottery and dies the next day. So it's, you know, you kind of have to live, live life um, to its fullest. But I'm not saying, you know, don't live like there's no tomorrow either. Yeah. You know, every now and then you'll hear someone say the words that they want to strive to success, right? Mm-hmm. And I put a little twist on that for myself in the last year. I said, no, 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 don't strive, thrive. Yes. Thrive to success. And that I might like that. Not, you know, it might not look like what the typical American dream is, but if you can enjoy each moment of every day and you're living a good life along the way, then – Man, that's where it's at. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So one more question I wanted to ask is details about your boat. What kind of a boat is it? Uh, I can't believe we didn't touch on that yet. So the boat is a vintage 1969. It's a um, – the manufacturer is Cal, uh, built in Costa Mesa, California. And it's actually kind of an interesting story. The boat was built specifically as a charter boat for a fleet that was based out of St. Thomas. So the boat actually was built in California in 69. It came through the Panama Canal um, and then over to St. Thomas. And um, because of that, there's very unique features about the boat. Uh, For example, um, the cockpit is twice the size as a normal, typical sailboat. So it's very spacious. There's lots of room. The layout um, in the galley is ideal. So I'm actually only the third owner. Um, So it was the original charter company in St. Thomas and then the couple that I bought the boat from. Neat. So is it a sloop or a catch or what? It's it's a sloop rig. Um, and everything, the previous owners did a great job uh, customizing and keeping it up. And then when I bought the boat, I, <laughs> I mean, a boat is a hole in the, in the water you throw money into. So I'm constantly um, doing maintenance and uh, keeping it looking as, as pretty as possible. And I just have fun doing it. You know, I, I don't mind spending um, 
days out here standing and varnishing. It's just, um, you know, it's kind of relaxing for me. Um, gives my mind off of other things. So, you know, it's something I enjoy doing. How many people can comfortably be on the boat? Well, uh, legally, we are under the jurisdiction of the U.S. Coast Guard. Um, so we are limited to six passengers. And then there's also the captain, uh, myself on board, and then one crew member. Um, so eight people total. Nice. So it can be pretty intimate. So it's, yeah, it's a very uh, small group. By the end of the day, I just know everyone. I know, you know, where they're from, what they do. Um, a lot of personal things about the guests, which is really fun. And I've, I've made some really good friends with my guests. And in fact, a lot of them uh, come back to Vegas year after year. And no matter how many times they've been out sailing with me, they come again anyway and and get invitations to their homes for dinner. And last summer, um, I had an invitation out to um, a beach house in the Hamptons from one of my guests. So <laughs> it's, it's just, you know, um, the relationship you build, it's like it's an extended family, really. And I, you know, you can't dream that up. It's just amazing. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, Nate, thank you very much for your time today for coming on to the Adventure Sports Podcast and, and sharing with us a bit about transitioning to an adventure-focused life, but also what it's really like to live um, on a sailboat, living on the islands, working as a charter captain. I It, it sounds delightful, and I really appreciate your insights. Well, thank you very much, Kurt. It was great chatting with you, and hopefully we'll have you on the boat one day for a sail. Hey, let's plan for it. We'll do it. All right. And for all of our listeners out there, as always, get out there and have some fun and give Nate a call so you can have some fun on his boat. All right. Thanks, Kurt. Thanks for the shout-out, and um, we look forward to speaking with you again soon. Right on. 